Live from WNUR News, I'm Marie Mendoza. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1, Evanston, Chicago. A group of Northwestern students demand the abolishment of NUPD. Cops don't keep us safe, they protect property. Students making earrings to combat racial injustice. They're doing badass essential work and we wanted to be able to throw money at them. And how celebrities influence fashion on TikTok. I developed an obsession with the sort of like dark academia aesthetic. Those stories tonight. Evanston nights have been filled with police sirens and student protesters. Over the past two weeks, hundreds of students have rallied to abolish NUPD. Reporter Angelina Campanile interviews a member of the group to learn more. A group called NU Community Not Cops has been protesting daily since October 12th. Protesters demand the abolishment of the Northwestern University Police Department, or NUPD. The protests triggered responses from University President Morton Shapiro, Northwestern's African American Studies Department, alumni, and thousands of students. I interviewed recent Medill alum and group leader Letitia Harris over Zoom. WNUR News wanted more insight on what her group calls the abolitionist movement. Walk me through some of the main ideas and ideals of the group. Um, The main ideal of the group is abolition. Um, We primarily want to abolish NUPD um, and then reach cooperation with Northwestern in which they divest from EPD and CPD. Um, And abolition doesn't stop at obviously the nation state, so it is global. So we are for abolition all across the globe, um, which means we will advocate and assist for other um, abolitions in other countries. But primarily our goal is to get NUPD abolished. Gotcha. And would you say that's kind of the persistent like purpose of these daily marches and protests? I think their purpose is really to remind Morty of the fact that he hasn't responded to our petition. He hasn't committed to doing anything. He hasn't engaged in any meaningful uh, conversation with us. Um, So these marches are to show him that we're not really going to stop or let up, even if he thinks we're just going to fade away into the background. So has NUPD directly contributed to injustice um, specifically on Northwestern's campus? Um, Yeah, there is some statistics, I don't know if I can find them for you, but there's some statistics that reveal that even though Black students are a low population at Northwestern, they're primarily, um, I want to say the number is 30 to 40 percent of all NUPD stops or and or arrests are involving Black people. Um, And, you know, when you look at the numbers factually, it doesn't make sense for such a small population to be, you know, the primary people getting stopped by police. And that reflects, obviously, outside of Northwestern's campus and outside of the Northwestern community to reveal all types of policing, which is what we're against. So even if like, even if there's not a specific incident to point to, which there is, um, it really is just more about the idea of policing and the idea that all this money is going into a useless organization um, and a useless group of people. So you mentioned, um specific incidences, has there been any that you could name or just share a scenario? Mm, I can't think of one from my past four years off the top of my head um, from NUPD specifically because <laughs> they are just <laughs> glorified bodyguards. Um, I can think of a, an example of a Northwestern student being killed by CPD if that's a good enough example for you. Was that recently? That was in 1990, I want to say, Bobby Russ. Um, He was killed. He was a senior. 
um, shot and killed by a Chicago police officer who still has a placement task force to this day. Bobby Russ was a black Northwestern senior in June of 1999. Chicago police officer Van Watts IV shot and killed Russ in his car less than three weeks away from graduation. The CPD officer was suspended for 15 days with procedural violations, then returned to work. So walk me through this. The university abolishes NUPD. So what happens next? Like who fulfills the role of the campus safety? The community fulfills the role of campus safety because really the idea of campus safety and how we envision it through policing isn't actually campus safety. It's campus policing. It's being surveilled and being watched. It's not keeping Northwestern students safe. When a sexual assault occurs on campus, is that person safe? No. What they can do is if they want to go to NUPD, NUPD can, you know, do whatever they do, file something with Title IX, et cetera, et cetera, and they can go through this long process. That doesn't, that didn't keep the person safe. Um, and there actually has been an example of a Northwestern student being assaulted on campus while NUPD was around the corner. And what did they do? Not keep that person safe. It was actually a group of students who helped that person and stopped the assaulter from assaulting that person, essentially. Um, so the next step for NUPD after NUPD being abolished is that we learn more about what community care looks like, how to take care of each other, and we lessen the need for an external militarized force, not militarized, but weaponized force to keep us safe. Cops don't keep us safe. They protect property and they protect the interests of, you know, white people, honestly. Okay, so we have this community response team. God forbid an active shooter comes on campus. What happens then? Like, what do we do? So that's actually... <laughs> A hypothetical we don't like to engage in as a collective because the more immediate concern is the fact that active shooters are the police right now. Um, the last active shooter we had was a false active shooter and it took NUPD, EPD, I don't know if CPD was there, forever to figure out that that was a false shooter. Did they keep anyone safe there? Did they protect anyone's mental safety? No. And even if there was an active shooter on campus, like what would happen? The shooter would be shot? By police and then what would happen what really what we really want to get to is a point where an active shooter can be taken not necessarily as a threat um which it is a threat obviously an active shooter is a threat um on campus but for us to be able to envision a world where we can see a violent person or a violent offender and be like what are the failed resources that led to this happening where did we go wrong in this? And how did this person get to be um, this like violent shooter or this like violent responder? And just really funding, like being proactive about funding like mental health, food security programs, et cetera, et cetera, education security programs, um, funding resources like this, it's like much more exponential in terms of like safety, if that makes sense. Are there any schools that Northwestern can look to who have abolished their uh, campus safety units and installed community response teams? I'm pretty sure that there is no university that Northwestern can look to as an example um, in the United States, but there are in other countries. Abolition is encouraging and letting each individual know that they can be brave enough and courageous enough to take care of the person next to them. So. A community response team is just another way of policing. Like that's how slave patrol started, which turned into police. Like that was like the genesis of police as it is. 
we don't want community response teams. We want the community to be responsible for each other. Like each individual person can care for the other person next to them. And then that can be like an exponential way of taking care of people. That's um, a lot of trust. It's a lot of trust, but that's a world that we envision. Like it shouldn't be controversial to say that you wanna trust the student next to you and trust the person that you're constantly in community with. I think people will get hung up on the fact that there really is care that can be had between students and it doesn't have to be like, it's not every man out for himself here. So I just want to talk about the protest that pretty much drew everyone's attention. The one that happened last Saturday, um, where it was almost a week ago now, um, there were spray painted messages, um, some of which were vulgar uh, on the arch on the sidewalks in Evanston. And then the mask shaped banner that was um, taken down from the arch burned and then left uh, in front of Morty's house. So my question for you is, what do you think about these actions in particular? What do you think about them? I'm asking you, I'm interviewing you. Yeah, you said vulgar. I think that's an interesting word. Do you consider like dead bodies vulgar? I consider like what a mom would be teaching their child like curse words vulgar. Interesting. Language, I'm talking about language. But aside from that, let's let's take away that. The actions of spray painting on uh, campus or the mask. Let's stick with that. What do you think about that? I think it's what happened. I think people were upset and I think they were rightfully upset. So what did you expect President Shapiro to do? And what was your reaction when he sent that email condemning those actions? Um, we didn't expect him to do anything because he hasn't done anything for the last six months. He's been a very inept leader for the last six months. So we were sincerely shocked that he even sent out an email. We were shocked not only that he sent out an email, but we were shocked that he sent out such a vitriolic email condemning the actions of protesters when in my four years, at least of being here, he's never ever addressed, you know, the nooses on campus or that it's okay to be white stickers or, you know, the white supremacists that visit this campus or the eugenicists that visit this campus. Not a single word from Morty, but as soon as we show up at his house um, with a burned banner, he's really upset. So I think regarding Morton Shapiro and how he responded, it says a lot more about him than it says about the protesters. I think if you are more upset that someone is protesting outside of your house than you are about the police brutality that they're protesting and the fact that they're trying to engage in a conversation with you about said police brutality, um, I think it makes you a racist. I think particularly for Morty, his actions have revealed in the past three days alone, he's a white supremacist. Um, so I don't really care about what Morty thinks or how Morty responds to things. Do you think Northwestern University will ever respond? Um, I think Morty has responded and he has said that he has no plans to abolish NUPD and we're not gonna take that for an answer because he hasn't engaged in any meaningful conversation with us. He hasn't attempted to engage. He hasn't attempted to learn. He hasn't attempted to do anything. And he keeps condescending us and he keeps thinking that we haven't done the reading that we don't know what we're talking about. And so we're not gonna take his response for an answer right now. We're gonna wait until he actually engages with us critically and he actually meets us where we're at and he can actually use his brain cells. And then if he still says no after that, we'll see what happens. But until we have a conversation, we're not gonna do anything else except for protest. That was my interview with NU Community Not Cops member Letitia Harris.
For WNUR News, I'm Angelina Campanile. Next up, arts and entertainment reporter Margot Milanowski brings us Friends Who Earring. This coming Sunday, October 26th, Friends Who Earring is holding a backyard market in the alley between Simpson and Gaffield in Evanston for their products. Friends Who Earring is pretty much exactly that. Friends Who Make Earrings. So my name is Claire Coster. I'm Kate Dirtlon. We've been making earrings together since like January of 2019. She worked at Jenny's. It was Pride Month. A bunch of her coworkers were like, we want Pride earrings. She was like, cool, 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 definitely. Except I don't want to pocket the money. And so we donated all of our profits to, we made like 200 bucks that month. We donated all of them to the National Queer and Trans Therapist Color Network. Then July came around and we were like, what if we just donated to a different org every month? Because people still were interested in earrings. Um, And that's just what we've been doing ever since. Since their founding, Friends Who Earring has made and sold roughly 3,500 earrings and benefited 15 or more organizations with the proceeds of their sales. They've stuck with their initial goal of a new organization every month, excluding March and April 2020, which were combined to accommodate changes as the COVID-19 pandemic hit. We've done Asada's Daughters. Mm-hmm. We've done um, Arch City Defenders. So I'm from St. Louis. So Arch City Defenders like um, works with wrongfully incarcerated people and systemic racism in the criminal justice system. Chicago Torture Justice Center. Yeah. We're doing Chicago Freedom School right now. They train youth, um, basically giving a like accurate history of like oppressive forces in the United States and around the world and then are like here are ways that you can combat that. Friends Who Earring also sometimes holds markets where people can come and pick out and purchase earrings in person instead of ordering online. We haven't done a market in a really long time and then last weekend we were asked by someone who goes currently goes to my high school to do one for a um, Nav Garden for Girls. So we went and that was the first market we've done since COVID and it went really well. Yeah, it was really fun. So literally at the market is how we decided to do the backyard sale on the following weekend, which will be this Sunday. This sales proceeds will be supporting NU Community Not Cops, a group of organizers in the Northwestern community calling for the abolition of the Northwestern University Police Department. We were like, oh, we should do a backyard sale. And then we were like, oh, you know what? Like it should all go to NU Community Not Cops because we have been able to attend a lot of the demonstrations and are just really um, inspired. Feels like a terrible word for a white person to say about anytime we're talking about this, I'm like, you can't say you're inspired, like, but it's just, they're doing badass essential work and we yeah. wanted to be able to throw money at them. We like unequivocally support them and what they're doing and from June yeah. have followed and are yeah. like supporters of the work, believe in abolition of EPD and UPD police across the world. And so, I mean, we have shown that and reflected that kind of from the jump so I don't think it's a surprise to our followers that like that's what we're doing to feed and like uh provide water for like all of your protesters we saw any community not cops doing that and we were like that's just money out of your own pocket we don't care how they use the money and a part of it is going to be to like providing nutrition for the protesters and part of it might just be to care for themselves and like that's what we wanted to provide totally Totally. (laughs) Yeah, so Sunday, October 25th, 1 to 3 p.m. WNUR News, Margo Milanowski. Which celebrity do you want to be? Would you go as far as to dress like them every day? Oddities reporter Bailey Richards tells us about emulating celebrity wardrobes on social media. 
Celebrities have always influenced fashion. Today, through social media, celeb styles are captured, shared, and in some cases, emulated every single day. Fans of singer Harry Styles and actor Matthew Gray Goobler, for example, have come to show their support for their favorites by mirroring their own wardrobes after the stars. TikToker Soleil Golden experienced a huge shift in her style after watching Criminal Minds, a show in which Goobler plays Spencer Reed, a genius who works for the FBI during quarantine. Many of Golden's nearly 170,000 followers on her account, Toxic Thought Syndrome, have been there with her since the beginning of this shift. Over quarantine, I definitely had a style glow up because, like, um, when I'd go to school, I just would dress comfortably. And, you know, when you're not going to school and you're not doing things that um, require you seeing other people, you don't necessarily have to dress for anyone. And when I started really getting into Criminal Minds, I... um, I developed an obsession with the sort of like dark academia aesthetic, that whole like Spencer Reed, sweater vest, glasses, kind of that like business vibe. And so I started doing a lot more thrifting in the men's section in particular. And um, with that, I also noticed that I was picking up on other um, influences, for example, like from Harry, he wears a lot of trousers and sweater vests and button-ups underneath. Katie Wilkie, whose username on the app is Wheels Up Slut, a nod to a catchphrase from Criminal Minds, has seen many others in the fandom experience similar glow-ups to Golden. I have been like strongly in the fandom for more than six months now, so I've kind of seen it evolve like over the past six months. And in the beginning, people weren't like as dedicated to dressing like mostly like Spencer Reed or Matthew or honestly anyone else in Criminal Minds, but over the past six months, people have really evolved with their style. I know a lot of people have started wearing sweater vests and things like that, or like sweater cardigans, and it might not be completely inspired by Spencer Reed, but like Slade said before, there's like the dark academia um, style, which can kind of be influenced by um, Spencer Reed and his sweater vests, which have come back into style. TikToker Paisley Tornator or Paisley GG15 also happens to be a fan of both Styles and Goobler. Though she feels that her style has been influenced by many other factors recently, she sees both men reflected in her outfits nearly every day. I don't think it's solely based on like the fandoms, but I think it's very heavily influenced by them because if you can see like pictures from before, my style was very generic and like basic (laughs) but like now it's definitely a lot changed and like I kind of use my style to represent like who I am and I guess like these fandoms are like a part of that. Golden, Wilkie, and Tornator have all found themselves purchasing or making clothing or accessories that are either inspired by or direct copies of something worn by Styles or Goobler. TikToker Willow Hernition, whose user is WillowH59, has gone a step further, selling merchandise inspired by Goobler and his character on Criminal Minds. She started by recreating a shirt that Reed wore in an episode of the show. I just put it in my bio and like made a video about it and it it didn't like blow up, but um people it got noticed and people bought it and people liked it, so I did like more orders. And then it got like later in the year and I was like, "Oh, like would it be cool if I made um like a sweatshirt or a hoodie or something?" The hoodie, which was sold in a variety of styles and colors, has a unique logo designed by Hernition and her mother. It's essentially a sketch of Converse, which Goobler is notorious for wearing. My idea was just to make it really subtle, but still like have it there. So the MGG is like really small. And then 
to also represent Criminal Minds, I put the dates of the show of like when it started and when it ended. So I made a video about the hoodie and then I put, I was selling at one point um, both the shirts and the crew necks at the same time. From official merchandise and unofficial merchandise like Hernitians to homemade jewelry and items purchased because they simply remind one of a figure like Styles or Goobler, there are a million ways to show your fondness for a celebrity through fashion. And to Golden, that is a positive thing. If you're seeing someone be like so unapologetically themselves, like Harry is and like Matthew is, like they're basically, that's one thing that Matthew says a lot, is like don't care about what people think about you. Um, he wears the same disgusting, dirty converse every single day. And yet like people love him for it. And so like that gives people that look up to them, like their fans, that gives them a new confidence. Signing off for WNUR News, this is Bailey Richards. And now for this week's roundup. If you cheer us, hear us. Northwestern defensive back J.R. Pace shared a powerful message on social media Wednesday evening. Pace asked the greater Northwestern community to not only support the Wildcats on the football field, but also by speaking out against racism in America, and particularly on campus. The video comes as students have been protesting daily since October 12th, demanding the disbandment of campus police. Here's a clip. Here come the Wildcats. And it's intercepted, J.R. Saturday, you cheer for us. But this fall, when it's quiet, we need you to hear us. Do you hear us? When we tell you we get racially profiled in our own college towns, that we wear team gear just to signal that we belong, can you hear our fear when we all watch another unarmed black person killed on camera by police, realizing that it could be me or my brother next? If you cheer us, hear us. We need you. Earlier this week, WNUR News spoke with Luke Figora, Northwestern's Chief Risk and Compliance Officer. Based on his conversation with reporter Angelina Campanile, we gathered a rather optimistic view about returning to campus winter quarter. Figora spoke highly of student compliance with university testing and meeting COVID-19 regulations on campus. Outside of Northwestern, however, cases are on the rise. According to the city of Chicago, the city's positivity rate has risen from 4.8% to 6.7% in the last week alone. Starting today, travelers from Colorado, Ohio, Delaware, West Virginia, and Texas will be subject to Chicago's two-week quarantine requirement. In addition, all non-essential businesses in Chicago will have a 10 p.m. curfew. Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker said they will enact necessary measures and restrictions to help mitigate a second surge of the coronavirus. That's all for the WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. On behalf of our producer and reporter, Angelina Campanile, reporters Margot Milanowski, Bailey Richards, and all of us here at WNUR, I'm Marie Mendoza. You can listen to these and other stories of the day on our Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and online at WNUR.org. Your next news break will be Monday, October 26th. Now back to scheduled programming.